The Palm Sunday reading comes from John chapter 12, verses 12 through 16. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. This is the gospel of the Lord. The sermon lesson comes from selections from Proverbs. There is a way that seems right, but its end is the way to death. And the path of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. The crucible is for silver, and the furnace for gold, and the Lord tests hearts. Listen, my son, and be wise, and set your heart on the right path. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. A rebuke goes deeper into a person of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path of life, but whoever rejects reproof leads others astray. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Whenever a person's folly brings their own way to ruin, their heart rages against the Lord. Those who are often reproved, yet stiffen their neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for uh, your word that gives life, and we pray that it would lead us along the path of life this morning. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. If you are just joining us this morning during this season of Lent, these six weeks leading up to Easter Sunday, we have been journeying through the book of Proverbs together. And the nature of Proverbs is all about wisdom. And the focus of wisdom is not just about what we know in our heads, but the focus of wisdom is really how we live our everyday lives. And in Proverbs, there are are two competing themes that are always in tension. On the one hand, you have God's design for us. And on the other hand, you have the paths that we choose for ourselves. So you have God's design for our good, for our flourishing, for us to be like a fruitful tree for the good of the world. And then on the other hand, you have our tendency to wander away from what is good, to be drawn against God's design, to move against the grain of really what God made us for and what we find out in page after page of Scripture and as we look around the world and even our own lives, us going against the grain of God's good design is is a tragedy. 
And so we see these, these themes front and center in Proverbs where there is a, a path or a way that leads to life, and, and there is a path that leads away from it. There is a path that leads to flourishing, and there is a path that leads to death. And the plea of Proverbs over and over again is choose, choose life. And the reality is, as we think about our own lives, we all struggle with wandering away from the path that is good, from what God has designed for our good. And sometimes this happens because we are genuinely confused about what is good. But more often, it comes when something about our hearts is drawn away. Uh, We all know what it feels like to want something and to pursue something that we know is not good for us. We've all experienced this in some very trivial ways that are almost laughable, but we've also experienced it in some very serious ways that have serious consequences. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seems right to us, but the end leads only to death. So Sunday after Sunday here, we often talk about the pursuing love of God. How God takes the initiative. How God loves us when we do not love Him. How God looks for us when we are not looking for Him. We'll talk over and over again about the welcoming love of God. How God does not call us to clean up our act before we come to Him. But He invites us to come to Him as we are and find His welcome, His mercy, His forgiveness, His grace. But this morning, we're going to focus on an aspect of God's love that is just as important, and that is the correcting love of God. The correcting love of God is not as popular because what it does by nature is it points out things in our lives that need to be different. It doesn't just look at us and say everything is okay as it is but it's putting its finger on areas where growth needs to happen, where change needs to happen, where direction needs to be turned. And as we think about this correcting love of God, there are really, there are really two different ways that we can fall off and, and end up in the ditch. And one side is more of a tendency to more religious people, and that is the tendency to see God as One who is just always looking for what is wrong in our lives. He's just constantly out on this sin hunt and always wants us to know how we have failed, how we have disappointed Him, and all that we've done wrong. It's it's like working on a paper in school and turning it in, and, and all that's on the paper is just red marks, red marks everywhere. The only message is, this is what is not good. That's one incorrect way that we can fall off on as we think about the correcting love of God. The the other side that we can fall off on is is the opposite, and that is considering our lives and just saying there's no need to change. There's there's no need to grow. And, And any call to change or grow or be different is just a harsh critique or it's unaccepting. It's kind of like on the other side, turning in what we know to be a really, really bad English paper. And what we get back is just big smiley faces and an A++ that says great work. And while we we love getting good grades, there's still something about us that knows that's 
that doesn't reflect what, what the work is. And, and God's ways, as He thinks about correcting us, it, it, it avoids those and it gives us something much better. I go back to thinking about one teacher that Katie had in high school who would always grade, grade hard, but would grade with, with a, a green pen. And green symbolized for her growth. She said, I'm not just marking your paper up to show you what's wrong, but I'm trying to mark all this up to help you grow. I want you to be a better writer. I want you to be a beautiful writer. I want your words to make a difference in the world. And so I am going to identify the things that need to change and need to grow, but I'm going to do it in such a way that embodies a love that I have for you. Proverbs 17.3 says, The crucible is for silver and the furnace for gold, and the Lord tests the hearts. It's talking about how metals are tested and refined, where they're made more pure, they're made more valuable. And God is saying, that is something that I do in the human heart. I'm not just testing it to see what's there, but I'm actually refining it, making it more pure, more beautiful, more valuable. Another image from Proverbs, it opens up with with this long section that is a, a father addressing their son with words of wisdom and words of life. And in chapter 3, and and I didn't include it in these passages, but it's so important to what we're talking about today, where this father figure says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or this training. Don't resent His rebuke because the Lord disciplines those He loves as a father, the son He delights in. So when my oldest son, Ethan, turned four, we decided to take him on his first uh, boat ride. And he loved all things transportation, so we thought this is going to be a fantastic experience. And so we, we get all of our stuff ready. We haul the boat to the ramp. Um, we, we pull the boat in the water. My dad is in the truck, and he's driving away to park the car. And, and Ethan is sitting in, in the boat, and I have this rope. And what I'm going to do is just I'm going to pull the boat along to the dock and so I can secure it and so dad can come down and we can all get in the boat and go away together, which sounds like a really good plan. The only problem is the rope that I'm holding is not tied onto anything. (laughs) And so all of a sudden, my four-year-old in his first boat ride, you know, with his little jacket and his cute fishing hat on, all of a sudden he starts to float away as I hold this rope that's not tied into to anything. And I can have a couple different responses in that moment. Uh, one response is just to look at that and see him drifting away and just say, well, that's, I'm sorry this is happening, but <laughs> uh, it was nice knowing you, and um, I hope there's something over there that will be helpful a better response is, this is my son, and there's no way I'm going to let him go. And so what I want to do and what I am going to do is, is stop, do whatever I can to stop that drift from happening and to bring him back. I'm thankful that the drift, is as, as I'm getting ready to, to jump in, he drifts towards another dock and um, everything is safe. 
But as I was thinking about the, the correcting love of God, that, that picture came into mind of, of God's heart doesn't just look at us as we drift away and kind of wash his hands and say passively, you, you can just do whatever you want to do or live however you want to live. His love is a pulling back. It's a changing direction. It's a correcting kind of love. And the book of Hebrews brings out this dynamic of that process is not always pleasant. That process is often painful. I don't think any of us loves to be corrected. There's something about it that that rubs us very wrongly, and we see this in our different responses, which we talk about in, in a few minutes. And so if God is going to be truly loving and truly for us, he's got, He has to have a correcting love for us. Which brings up the next important question, that is, how will we respond to this correcting love? We saw it just a moment ago with, with the clay. The kids know right away what happens if this clay gets hardened. You are not able to mold it. And there is a similar danger that happens In our own lives, Proverbs 17.10, a rebuke goes deeper into a person of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. Proverbs 18.2, fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Proverbs 15.3, the ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Proverbs 10.17, whoever heeds instruction is on the path of life, but whoever rejects reproof leads others astray. When the Titanic set sail in April of 1912, it was the largest ship that we had ever built. And it was thought, because of its magnificence, it was thought to be unsinkable. And most people know about it's hitting an iceberg and sinking, but most people don't know all all the different communication that was going on that day and before. And so if you just look at at the log of the day, you see 9 a.m., message received reporting ice directly in the Titanic's path. 1.42 p.m., another wireless warning of ice. 7.30 p.m., received warning from a nearby ship, the Californian, is only 50 miles away. 9.40 p.m., another warning of ice. This warning is put aside and forgotten. 10.30 p.m., another nearby ship emerges from an ice field, warns the Titanic with a signal light. The message is received. No changes are made. 10.55 p.m., another message from the Californian warning of the ice field directly in the Titanic's path. The Titanic responds, telling the Californian to shut up. No further messages are received from that ship. The Californian gets the message and they turn off their radio. 11.35 p.m., ice is spotted. 11.40 p.m., the Titanic hits an iceberg. And less than three hours later, this entire ship is at the bottom of the northern Atlantic. 1,500 people died that night. 
Proverbs 29.1 Those who are often reproved, yet stiffen their neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. The idea of shipwreck is a metaphor that Paul himself uses in some of his letters to talk about how these Christians have made a wreck of their faith. And it made me think about some of the hardest parts of of being a pastor. It's not as much entering into places of great suffering. If I'm honest, it's entering into places of great hardness. It's those places where I feel compelled to speak the truth in a way that is hard but also loving because there is something happening in someone's life that is dangerous. And if course is not changed, it will have devastating results. And the hardest part is not just saying that, but then having that be rejected and and being hated because of that. Uh, That's not a, a pleasant experience. But that's the call of love because God does that in our own lives. But when we think about the correcting love of God, it's easy just to think about these massive moments in our lives. And I think we all have some of these where we're presented with choices. And which choice we choose has incredible implications for what our lives look like. But most of our lives are made up in small decisions. So there are these moments where God's correcting love looks very big and memorable, but most often like a love of a parent. Most parenting, 95% of parenting, is these small nudges along the way. These gentle guidances, these pushing against some desires, these trying to cultivate new ways of thinking. That is in itself a a correcting way that that we see in God's life. And so I want you to think, when you think about how might God be at work in my life correcting, it's not necessarily that you are at a crossroads. You might be at one of these huge crossroads where you see like the Titanic, these warning signs everywhere, and you're just ignoring, ignoring, ignoring. And this may be a wake-up call to say, "I, I cannot ignore this. Most likely, it's, it's how are you responding to, to God's correcting guidance that happens in His Word, that happens through other people? How do you respond when somebody who loves you pushes against something that they see happening in your life? Uh, do you tend to be defensive, argumentative? Do you turn the tables and become accusing? pointing out what's wrong in in the other person? Are you dismissive? Apathetic? Or do you become defeated and despairing? Lost in pity? Do you find yourself looking for correction? It's one thing for correction to come and find you, but there is a wisdom in looking at those who love you and whom you trust and saying, what do you see in my life? If to say, if I could promise you that I would respond positively to whatever you say about my life, 
If I gave you that kind of space, what would you say? I wonder what would happen in that area. Proverbs 27.6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Proverbs 27.5, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. I want to close with some thoughts about Jesus and how Jesus is the embodiment of God's correcting love for us. The opening of the Gospel of John is very clear that Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus is the embodiment of God's Word to us, God's message. As you read through the Gospels, it is a message of pursuing love. It is a message of welcoming love. It is a message of forgiving love. It is a message of of healing love. It is a message of of peace-giving love. But Jesus' life is also a message of correcting love, of growing, of changing, of pushing against in our lives. Think about what's happening today Uh, Many, many years ago on Palm Sunday, as as Jesus enters into this city, and He gets this wonderful reception, a reception of royalty, of people laying down palm branches, describing Scripture, and giving Him praises. But just shortly after that, we find Jesus by Himself or with His disciples looking over this city that had welcomed Him like this, And we find him mourning over it. Matthew 23, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as hens gather her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Jesus is saying, how often has God sent you prophets, messengers, to speak words of hope, words of warning, words of promise, words of invitation? And how often have you not only rejected them, but how often have you stoned them? I have come that I might embody the heart of God to gather you to myself like this mother hen is bringing her chicks underneath her loving care. I have longed to do that for you. And you wanted nothing to do with it. Uh, This correcting love has been pursuing you and your response is no. As we think about the cross, the cross has, has two very different messages embodied in it. One is a message that comes from God to us. Another is a message that comes from us and goes to God. The message that comes from us to God is we do not want what you have to offer. We do not want you, whatever loving, wise guidance, authority in our lives, we stone the prophets, but we will crucify you. That is the message of the cross that we send loud and clear to the Creator of the universe. But the message of the cross to us is something radically different. It is a God saying, this is the lengths that I will go to pursue you, to mold you, to shape you, to soften you, 
so that even as you witness this kind of love, my spirit is going to soften your hearts. This is our prayer for all of us that we might be able to live in this love and to respond to it. And if we really get the kind of love that God has shown for us, why would we not respond to His correcting love with trust of following Him with all that we are and aligning our lives completely with His good purposes for life? That's the message of, of Palm Sunday. And we're, we're going to see this again on Good Friday. If you're able to gather with us on Friday night, we're through a readings of Scriptures and through... Music, we're going to recount this love that pursues us even to death and beyond death. On Sunday, we're going to celebrate this love that conquers death for us. And the call is going to be the same in all of it to, to see the magnitude of this love and to entrust ourselves fully to it for the good of the world. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for all the ways in which you love us. We ask that you would soften our hearts, that we might be able to not only hear, but that we would be able to respond with faith and trust and obedience in all the ways that you might be shaping or stopping or redirecting us. Help us to trust that you are always good and always for us. And it's in your great name we pray. Amen.